Father in heaven, we thank you so much today for this beautiful day that you've given to us, this, this wonderful convention where young people, old people, all around, from all around the world, can, we can gather together and open your word. We can learn how to do service for you. We can learn how to let you change our lives and then be used by you to change the lives of others. We pray today that as we look at how to give Bible studies, how to write Bible studies, that you'll bless us with your spirit, you'll draw near to our hearts, and you'll be with us in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to, uh, our first session is sharpening your sword, principles and giving spirit-filled Bible studies. I have, to, I have to warn you, I've been sick. So if I'm coughing or, or I, I, I grunt or groan, don't be alarmed, okay? Uh, all is well. I'm just getting over this cold. Well, I want to open with a proposal to you, and, or a warning, actually is what it is, a warning. And this is the warning, that the things you have learned this morning from Annie, the things you're about to learn from me, the things you're going to learn from Kevin tomorrow, you become responsible. You become what, everyone? Responsible. To not go back home and sit in your church and do nothing about what you've learned in these seminars. Are you with me? But this is a warning to you that you, you are becoming responsible. You are becoming accountable to God and your fellow man that you are going to take what you learn here and you are going to use it wherever you are, right? Whether you're at college, whether you're on a Seventh-day Adventist campus, there are probably, I would say, the percentage-wise, almost as many lost uh, students on any Seventh-day Adventist campus as are our public campuses. To use it wherever you are, your, your workplace, your college uh, room, wherever you are, to use these things to bring souls to Christ, all right? So if you don't want to be responsible, now's your opportunity to go out, right? I don't see anyone moving. Are you guys ready? Are you willing to accept the challenge? Are you willing to accept the warning? Are you willing to take accountability? Now let me ask you, are you going to do something about it? All right, let's go. Are you sure? Yes. All right, you're sure. Okay, let's just imagine for a moment. <clears throat> you know, the biggest fear that people have about giving Bible studies or witnessing to, uh, for the Lord is that they're afraid that they're going to say what? The wrong thing. Can you say the wrong thing? How many of you have been worried that, you've been, uh, that you will say the wrong thing? And, and you say, you know what? I don't know that I could witness for Jesus. I don't know that I could give a Bible study because I might say something wrong and I'll blow it, right? Well, how many of you know who Mark Finley is? <clears throat> do, you, do you suppose that sometime in his ministry, Mark Finley has blown it? Now, he's not in here to defend himself, but I'm sure he would agree with me. At some point in his ministry, he's blown it, wouldn't you say? What about Doug Batchelor? You think that Doug Batchelor has blown it a time or two? You think so? I need you guys to give me feedback. Yes or no? Yes. What about uh, Nate, uh, David Asterick? You think he's blown it a couple times? Well, I can promise you that I've blown it more than a few times, all right? And so God does not expect, <clears throat> God does not call you because you're perfect. He does not call you because you have all this knowledge and skill. He calls us if we're willing to serve Him. Amen? You've heard the saying over and over again, God does not uh, call the equipped. He equips who? He equips the called, right? And so we have this fear that maybe I shouldn't say anything simply because I'm afraid that I might blow it. Well, let me just imagine with you for a moment. Let's say I have 10 people, right, that I'm going to witness to, okay? 
<clears throat> so 10 people and three, let's say four people out of the 10, I share something with them and they say, man, you must be crazy. What is all that Bible nonsense? Get out of my face. Get out of my way, right? And so those people just blow you off and they don't want anything to do with the Bible. So how many of those 10 people? Four, right? So four people walk away and they say, forget it. Don't talk to me about the Bible ever again. Will those people likely be lost if they don't change that attitude? Yes or no? Yes. So let's suppose there's three more people that I speak to and they show interest, right? They're interested, they're following you, but then guess what? I say something so stupid, so dumb, and I completely blow it, right? And I get out of that Bible study and I think, man, why in the world did I say that? Or I'm on the plane or whatever, and I lose that Bible study and that person becomes not interested, right? So I blew it three times, okay? So can God still reach those three people, yes or no? He can still reach those three people, right? The four people said no. Three people, I blew it, but God can still reach them. But let's suppose there are three more people that say yes to a Bible study, and I continue to study with those people, and they make a decision to follow Jesus, and they say, I want to surrender my life to Him. And then they say, I'd like to keep the Sabbath. Then they say, you know, I, I want to follow Christ through baptism. I want to join God's church. How many people out of the ten did I save? Or did God use me, rather? Three, right? And God can still reach those other three, and four have rejected. So out of, out of ten people, how many potentially, because I said something for Christ, could be one out of the ten? Six, right? Even though I blew it three times. Are you with me so far? But let's suppose I have another group of ten people, and I don't say anything to any of them because I'm afraid that I might say something wrong. How many of those ten people are probably going to be lost if God doesn't reach them another way? All ten. Are you with me? Does that make sense? See, the devil's lie is that he doesn't want you to witness because, or, and, and, he, and he plagues you with this fear of uh, saying the wrong thing or being rejected because he doesn't want you to say anything because he knows that even in our feeble, weak state, if we say something, God can use it in a miraculous way. Are you with me? And he's afraid of that. See, he knows that we don't know what we're doing. He knows that we're inefficient. He knows that we're not perfect. But he knows how powerful God is, you see. He knows what God can do through you. And that's what he's afraid of. He's not afraid of you. He's afraid of God. <clears throat> and if we're surrendered to Christ, if we're surrendered to God, if we let God use us, then God can take our mistakes and turn them into miracles. Amen? God can do it. And He can do it through you. So is it better to say something with the fear that I might blow it? Or is it better to not say anything at all? It's better to say something. Are you with me? Everybody with me this afternoon? All right. Okay. Let's take a look at a little time chart. And the Soul Winner's time chart. You know, everybody wants to be, you know, we have these students that come to AFCO. And they, um, they, want to, uh, they want to do great things for God. And everybody wants to be a stand-up evangelist. Everybody wants to be the Mark Finley. Everybody wants to be the Sean Boonstra and the, uh, the David Ashrick. And everybody wants to be the big guy, right? Because the evangelists seem to get the glory, right? Are you with me? Now, some of you may be saying, you're crazy. I don't want to stand up and speak. But a lot of people do, okay? But I want to show you a difference, okay? The difference between a, an, a great evangelist that wins a lot of people and somebody that can just win one person for Christ. How many of you think that God could use you to at least win one person for Christ? All right, let's take this. A gifted evangelist, let's say Mark Finley. Is Mark Finley gifted? 
Amen, right? Let's say he would win a thousand people per day. At the end of a year, winning a thousand people a day, how many people has he won? That was so weak. How many? 365,000, right? So let's say I'm just John Smith and I'm, and I'm on my campus at Southern Adventist University and I go out and I meet someone at the supermarket and they want, they want Bible studies. So I give that person Bible studies. At the end of a year, they say, I want to be baptized, right? So how many people have I won for Christ in one year? Some of you look confused. Why? Because I said you won how many? But how many have I really won? Two. And why is that? Who else have I won? Myself, right? Because when I share Jesus with others, it becomes more real in whose life. And I become more affirmed and my faith is increased. My confidence in God's word increases, right? If you want to increase your faith, if you're spiritually weak, if you're spiritually struggling, what do you think you ought to do, friends? Share Christ with someone else. Get involved. Do a Bible study with somebody. It will bring life to your soul. Amen. I can tell you dozens of stories if I had time, about how that's happened to me. As a pastor, I've felt many times I've struggled spiritually and I didn't want to go to that Bible study. And I would pray that that person would cancel. And I would get there and they weren't there. And I would knock on the door. Nobody answered. And just as I was leaving, guess what? Here they come pulling up in their driveway. And they said, man, I was worried that I'd be late. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm struggling. I don't want to give a study. I get in there, I do it, and guess what happens when I leave? My heart has changed. I'm rejoicing. I'm excited. There's something about sharing Christ with others that does something miraculous, not just in their life, but in whose life? In my life. All right, so let's move along. So after one year, I've won two, which is me and my other friend. After two years, how many has Pastor Mark Finley won? 730,000. You're saying, man, all the souls that are coming into the church, right? So I, I trained my friend how to give a Bible study, right? So now he gives a Bible study. I, give a, I find someone else to give a Bible study to. And so how many people have we won after two years? Four, right? Myself, him, the friend that I won, and the friend that he won. Are you with me? And now watch. After three years, how many? Eight. After four years, 16. It just keeps multiplying itself. After eight years, our evangelist has won almost three million people to the Lord. A thousand a day. But I, I'm, I am uh, winning one and training one, right? Winning one and showing him how to give Bible studies. So after eight years, it looks like he's looking me pretty good, right? He's way ahead of me. But notice something that happens as we change. After eight years, the same number. After 23 years, guess what? You do the math. And you calculate this, and you'll find the same thing. After 23 years, I have almost caught up with Pastor Mark Finley by giving a Bible study, seeing them baptized, and then showing them how to give Bible studies. After 24 years, he's won 8.7 million people. Guess how many I've won? 16 million, twice as many as the evangelists. Are you with me? Do you see how this works? After 25 years, he's won 9 million. I've won 33 million. Now, I realize these are almost like uh, unreasonable numbers, but this is the math. And if you, you understand the principles, what I'm trying to get across to you. And after 26 years, he's won about 9.5 million, and I have won 67 million, over 67 million people, nearly seven times the evangelists. So, is it better to be a great evangelist from the front? 
Or is it better to be a person that is just giving one Bible study at a time? What would you say? Giving Bible studies. Give, evangelism is great. Being a, a, a preacher is great. But not everyone is called to do that. That's not everyone's gift. But you notice in the list of spiritual gifts in the Bible, giving Bible studies is not a spiritual gift. Did you know that? It is a command from Jesus. So does that apply to everyone, yes or no? It applies to everyone. Everyone should be giving Bible studies. All right, well, Brother Wes, so um, enough of that. Let's get into some of the, uh, I know I need to do it, but how do I do it? So we're coming to that. I want to notice a few statements with you here. Um, these come from a book called Personal Evangelism. It says this, The beauty and true efficiency of the Bible study method of personal evangelism lies in ministry to how many? The one soul audience. The winning of one soul to Christ or of 10,000 souls to Christ is best done by the effort of an individual. Now notice this. Winning one soul at a time usually results in the winning of a multitude of souls in the what? Process of time. And we just demonstrated that off the, off the soul winner's time chart. You cannot reach a thousand until you can reach how many? Until you can reach one. You know, everybody wants to be the evangelist, but until you can reach one soul for Jesus, you can't win a thousand people. It all starts how? With one. All right. Now, I want you to share with this. Now, remember, the biggest fear in giving Bible studies is being afraid that, you're not, that you don't what? You don't know enough, right? Or being afraid of, what if they ask me something that I don't know? I want you to notice this beautiful promise from the book Christ's Object Lessons. Notice this. He who begins with how much? A little knowledge. How many of you have a little knowledge? Everybody should raise their hands. In a humble way. How many of you are humble? All right, I was trapping you to see if you'd raise your hand. If you raise your hand, you're not too what? You're not very humble, right? In a humble way and tells what he what? Tells, he regurgitates the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary. Is that what it says? It says he knows every text in the Bible by heart. Is that what it says? What does it say, everybody? Read it together. Tells what he what? What he knows. While seeking diligently for further knowledge, will find the whole heavenly treasure awaiting his demand. The more he seeks to impart light, the more he will receive. The more one tries to explain the word of God to others, with a love for souls, the plainer becomes to himself. Have you ever known someone that says, well, you know, I'd really like to give Bible studies, but I need to close myself off for like two years and study more. Have you ever heard someone say that? I just don't know my Bible well enough. I'm not ready to give Bible studies. You've heard people say that before? Well, friends, is that what this says? Should we wait until we feel like we know enough? Yes or no? What does it say? Share what we know. That's all you have to do. That is all. How can God require you to do more than you can? Right? He doesn't. He requires you to share what you know. You're responsible for the light that you have, not that you, what you don't have. And as you share that, it's going to become real to you. It's going to become relevant to your life. And God is going to transform you. And it is going to do something powerful in your life. You will learn new things. Some of the greatest revelations I've had preaching sermons or giving Bible studies are those that came to me while I was in the act of giving the Bible study. Not when I buried myself in my closet and studied for hours. The greatest revelations come when God's Spirit reveals things to you in the Bible study. And you know that you can't take credit for yourself, right? And so all God asks you to do is share what 
you know. That's all he wants to do. Suppose every church member gave two Bible studies a week, right? Say you had a church of 100 people, and let's say 50 people were able to give Bible studies. How many Bible studies would that be per week if each member did two? That's a, how many? 100 Bible studies. That's the work of three and a half Bible, full-time Bible workers. Do you realize that? And if you, if you gave two Bible studies a week and 50 people in your church gave Bible studies per week, you would baptize probably between 25 to 40 people every year. And if you train those people to then give Bible studies, your numbers continue to just increase. Are you with me? All you have to do, if everybody does a little, nobody has to do a lot, right? If every person could give one or two Bible studies. All right. How do we know what type of people we should be studying with? What type of, of uh, people are we looking for <clears throat> to give Bible studies? Characteristics of ripe fruit. And you have this in your notes. It's on page 17. Um, people that have an earnest desire to know Bible truth. How many of you have ever met someone like this? Man, you talk to them about the Bible and they just can't what? Get enough, right? Have you met someone like that? <clears throat> Those people are few and far between as you do Bible work, okay? The, that's every Bible worker's dream, to knock on someone's door, and they're just so hungry for truth that they just say, come on in, give me a Bible study now, right? How often does that happen, happen Brother Kevin? Sometimes, but not very often, right? But these are the type of people. Some people are just naturally hungry. Um, people that complete their lessons. People that are lonely and unhappy with their lives, all right? People that, you know, Annie talked about this earlier, awakening spiritual interest. People that have just had a big loss. They've lost their job. They've lost their house. They, you know, they've lost a family member. These types of people are people that we can engage with. And she taught you how to do that, so I won't elaborate. But we can engage with these people and, and have them interested in Bible studies. People that sense the change of need in, uh, in their life. Um, how many of you have met someone that said, you know, I really, I, you know, I've tried all these things and I just need something different in my life. I need to change. I'm just miserable, I'm happy or whatever. Have you, have you met people like that before? Or they say, man, I really need to stop smoking or I, I, whatever. I really need to go to church or something like this. People that have a sense of need for change in their life. People that are dissatisfied with their own church. Um, some people say, you know what? My church just is not teaching Bible truth. These are people we want to look for uh, to offer them Bible studies. People that don't belong to a church or former Adventists. Um, people that don't belong to a church, they've never been to church. These are some of the best people to give Bible studies to. What do you think that is? They don't have all this false stuff in their head, right? They may have other issues, but they're going to be open and ready to receive the truth from the Word. I find that people that don't have preconceived ideas about the Bible that haven't been in church, these are some of the best because, um, you know, when you teach things like the Sabbath and whatnot, they see it clearly from the Bible and they have more of an attitude. If the Bible says it, I'm going to believe it, right? They're not building upon all this false knowledge. People that make good decisions when under conviction, conviction if, they want, if they say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, whatever Christ says to do, I'm so in love with Jesus that's what I want to do. I want to follow Him. These are people that are right. People that are non-argumentative. 
People that share with others what they've learned. I remember this one time I was studying with a guy in Wichita, Kansas. I was doing Bible work there. And this guy, I started studying with him. He was resistant to do the Bible studies with me. But I said, look, man, let's just meet for lunch. We'll just hang out. I'll talk. We met. We, ate, we, we met at Pizza Hut. And uh, we, we ate lunch. And we started to talk. I was able to share my personal testimony with him. After I did that, he was open for Bible studies. And as we studied, something happened to this young guy. He started knocking on doors. We were running a summer program. We were doing surveys. We had a team of Bible workers. And he said, hey, can I get some of those surveys that you guys are doing? So I gave him some. The next week, he came back and he had a stack of people in his hand that were interested in Bible studies. And he said, these people want Bible studies. He went out knocking on doors by himself, sharing the gospel of Christ with others. Now, let me tell you what, friends, it is not an easy thing to go knock on, Bible, on doors by yourself, especially if you don't have experience, but God led this young man. So if you find that people are sharing what, they, what you share with them, they say, you know what, I told my brother the other day what you said, and, and he thought it was cool, or, or I shared this with my, my mom or my sister or whoever, you know that's a good sign, right? That they're listening, they're eager, they're ready <clears throat> for Bible studies or even deeper Bible truth. Well, what about the characteristics of green fruit? In other words, people that, that may not be so interested. Who should we spend the most time with? Who? The ripe fruit, right? We should spend most time with ripe fruit. Does that mean we shouldn't spend any time with green fruit? No, but it means that when we recognize these characteristics in that person, maybe we shouldn't spend all of our time with that person. Does that make sense? That person should go on a prayer list Will we continually pray for them and wait for a better opportunity to study with them, right? I'm not going to read through these because these are basically the opposite of what I just read. So you have them in your notes. So to save time, I'm just going to move on. But these people we want to be careful of. Learning to categorize our interest is very important. Page 17 and 18. And I'm just going to very briefly summarize this. Uh, you can go back and read the notes later. But what you want to do is you want to take a look at all the people that are interested. And you want to say, where do these people, where, how should I gauge this person? Is this person really excited? Are they always ready for me when I come to their house? Are they always excited about doing a Bible study? And if they are, you want to categorize that person as an A, right? An A, the highest interest. Then you have people that trickle on down to people that are hardly ever at home or whatever. People that are just not that interested. Categorize the people that you have in contact with and spend more time with guess who? The A interests. Are you with me? Is everybody with me? All right. If you look on page, I, I apologize that I have to move so quickly, but uh, I want to be able to cover everything with you. If you look on page 18 and 19, there are basically two different types of Bible studies. Two different types of Bible studies that you can do and I call them, one is called the review method, and the other is called the presenter method. And what I really want to focus on is the presenter method. <clears throat> and in the presenter method, let me just go over both of them with you. In the review method, the review method is where I go and I, I study the Bible with someone. Then I leave a study guide with them that goes over the study for the, for the next week. Does that make sense? And then I go, I, let, I say, study that this week. 
And I'll come back and we'll go over the study guide together. If you have any questions, we'll answer those, right? I don't particularly care for this type of method. And can you tell me why that might be a problem as I get on down the line? I'll give you a scenario. Let's suppose that I study the Ten Commandments with that person, right? And then the next week, what would I likely study with them? What do you study after the Ten Commandments? The Fourth Commandment, which is? The Sabbath. Are you guys awake? All right. I study the Sabbath with them the next week. So I leave that study with them for the next week, and what happens? They read over that study that week, and then guess what happens? They talk to somebody, and they say, oh, I read about the Sabbath. And they said, where are you, where are you, where'd you get that from? And they say, oh, this person's coming by. And what do they say? I'd be very careful, right? There are some advantages to the review method, and that is that that person is ready for your study. Now think about it. What type of person might be, might be better for the review method? Someone that doesn't go to church, right? Because they're not familiar with that stuff. If I'm studying with the, with the head elder from the First Baptist in, in town, handing him a study on the Sabbath before I can cover it with him may not be the best idea, right? But if there's a guy that's just learning and it takes him a while <clears throat> to grasp the Bible, might it be better if he looks over the study guide ahead of time? <clears throat> Excuse me. So that way he's prepared when I come back. Does that make sense? Okay. <clears throat> so it depends on the different people that I'm working with on what type of method that I'll use. Now, the presenter method is the one I prefer most of the time. And that is where I actually go into the home with a person. They have no idea what I'm going to study with them on. But I go in and I present a subject that's brand new to them. Then when I leave, I give them a study guide that is the, on the same subject that they can review the next week. Does that make sense? So there are two different types of methods of Bible studies. And they are the, what everyone, tell me, the review method and the presenter method. What, one more time. The review method and the presenter method. All right. Now, there's two ways that I can do these studies. And that is I can write my own or I can use a set of study guides that have already been prepared. When you first begin doing Bible studies with people, I would highly recommend you to use some study guides that are already prepared. And that's going to save you a lot of time. It's going to save you a lot of headache. You know, why reinvent the wheel? Are you with me? If, if there's a series of, of Bible studies and that's what you're going to study with that person, then why not use ones that are already made, right? Don't give yourself the headache of spending hours preparing a Bible study. Now, I'm going to teach you how. You may not, you know, most, what's the problem with most uh, Bible study series today? What do they all have in common? Most of them are, it starts with a D. Doctrinal. Right? Are you with me? Most Bible studies today are doctrinal. You look at the amazing facts studies, the, um, the historicals, um, search for certainty, discover, whatever they are, most of them are doctrinal, right? So what do I do when I need to cover a subject with a person that's non-doctrinal? I'm going to show you how to do that in the next class, all right? I'm going to teach you how to do that. But, you know, if you're first starting out, I would encourage you to just go ahead and use a series of study guides just it provides a structure for you it provides a framework for you so that you're not getting you know confused and, and it just takes the stress off of you alright let's talk real quickly about the ABC's of giving Bible studies if you can master these three 
principles when you're giving Bible studies. You will, you will do well in every Bible study. Well, hopefully, right? Uh, it's not hard. But if you can remember three simple principles, then you're going to do, God's going to use you in a mighty way. All right? Always present what? Jesus first. You know, this is like elementary. But, you know, the reason I say it is because most people that try to give Bible studies, they don't get it. Right? They say, oh, yeah, 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 Jesus. But then they say, you know, the Bible says to keep the seventh-day Sabbath. Right? And they're out there on the street, and they're witnessing. And in their first Bible study, someone says, yeah, you're a Seventh-day Adventist. Well, why do you keep Saturday holy? Right? And in their first Bible study, what do they do? They lock and load their machine gun, and they go, and they mow them down with like 78 Bible texts on the Sabbath. They give them 103 quotes of the papacy about how they changed the Sabbath and, and all those things, right? And then they give them the study on the Antichrist. And, the, you know, most Adventists think, most people think that when I have the opportunity to witness, if I don't share the entire message in five minutes, I'm doing an injustice to that person, right? You say it because people say, well, I may never see that person again, right? Well, why don't we trust the fact that the Bible principle that, you know, it says that one, wa one planted, one watered, and God gave the increase, right? We don't have to share the Sabbath the first time with every person we meet. In fact, if you do that, you're going to receive a lot of this R word that most of us are afraid of. And what is it? Rejection, right? You're going to get rejected. Does God want you to get rejected? Does He want us to use wisdom when we're witnessing to people? So we always need to share Christ first. No matter if we're witnessing, no matter if we're giving Bible studies, the principle is share Jesus first. A big reason to do this is because if you share the Sabbath with an unconverted person, does it matter to them which day is the true Bible Sabbath? It might be interesting to them. They may gain a few, uh, a few good facts from it. But are they going to have any desire to keep the Sabbath? Yes or no? If they're unconverted, if they don't know Jesus. Why is there any motivation at all to keep the Sabbath? Because it's the right day? Yes or no? If you love me, keep my what? Commandments. If a person falls in love with Jesus, they will accept any truth. Does that make sense? If they fall in love with Jesus, they will accept any truth. But if they have not fallen in love with Jesus, what's going to happen? Every truth will be a stumbling block to them. Because every lifestyle change, every deep truth that they have to make a decision on, there is no motivation. And, it, and it, people do not want to change their life, right? Unless they have a motivating factor that's greater than what they're currently experiencing. And there's only one factor, there's only one person, there's only one motivating uh, entity that's greater than their current condition. And who is that? That's Jesus. So you may have to spend a number of Bible studies with people that, that focus on the love of God for them, right? Maybe five, six Bible studies that show them how much Christ cares about them. Help them fall in love with Jesus first, and then they'll follow whatever Jesus says. Does that make sense, friends? It makes sense, but how often do we not follow that principle? When we, when we see that person on the plane and they ask us anything spiritual, we say, now's my chance. And we whip out that spiritual machine gun. We lock and load and we let them have it, right? And by the time we get to the end of that flight, we wonder why they're running off the plane. And we're chasing after them with some tracks, right? You forgot your tracks in the seat. 
How many of you have, how many of you have had that experience before? Just be honest. More hands I know need to go up than this. How many of you have had that experience? Either you haven't witnessed or you've witnessed too much, right? And so we want to have a good balance. So share Jesus uh, first. Reveal truth gradually. We kind of touched on this. Don't share the Sabbath with a person the first time you meet them. Share who? Share God. Share Jesus. Share what He's done for you, especially in your Bible studies. Um, don't jump to the true church, etc. The third principle is make, regular, make a regular appeal or regular appeals in your Bible study. Ask the person at the end of each study, would you be willing to follow Jesus in, in this decision? Whatever your subject you're studying with them, would you be willing to follow Jesus? Kevin's going to talk more about appeals tomorrow. Now, I want you to notice if you look on page 20, on page 20, there's a statement at the bottom of the page on page 20. And we, uh, <laughs> we often forget this principle. At the, very, at the very top of that little box at the bottom on page 20, it says, The mind can most readily grasp the new and unknown when it is found in an orderly and well-systemized form. And so, in other words, Bible studies, a series of Bible studies, amazing facts or whatever, they are in a specific order for a specific reason. Does that make sense? If God wanted us uh, to learn about the Sabbath first, it would be the first study in the series. But it's not. It's on down the line. Jesus wants to become real to that person before that truth can change their life. Does that make sense? Always ask for an appeal. Always ask for a decision to follow Jesus. Don't just give people information. Call them to follow Christ. Because 99% of people will never follow Jesus on their own. They have to be invited. Does that make sense? Always ask for a decision in your Bible study. All right, so when I get into a Bible study, what should it look like? What should the time outline be? All right, you know, how many of you have ever been in a Bible study that was like three and a half hours? <clears throat> you know, when I, when, how, how did you feel about that? Anybody, anybody really enjoy that every day? You know, you're watching the clock, aren't you? And, and, and it's kind of like, man, is this ever going to end, right? There are some people that are really, really excited about, they could study with you all day long, you know what I mean? And we think, well, man, they're still interested, but uh, uh, so maybe I should just keep going. Well, there's a, there's a challenge with that, right? And the challenge is this. You may get away with it two or three times, studying with them for three or four hours at a time, and you think, man, this person is so hungry. They're so excited. But next week, they have an appointment an hour and a half after yours. And they think, you know what? Uh, brother so-and-so was here for three and a half hours last week. I can't study that long because I have to go. So guess what you, what he, what you think they're going to do? They're going to call you and they're going to say, you know what? I can't study with you this week. And they, they, it may be you may stay because they say, oh, please stay a little bit longer. Please stay more, Right. And you think, well, they're asking me to stay, so I better stay. So you cover like two or three subjects, and, and you're there for hours at a time. This is the principle. They don't remember the next week that they were the one that invited you to stay. Are you with me? All they remember is what? He was here for three hours, and I can't stay that long, right? They got something else on their mind, and so they call up and they cancel. And after a while, you will wear out the saints. You don't want to be the Antichrist, right? 
You know, in Daniel 7, it says he wears out the saints. You don't want to be having the Antichrist spirit. So we've got to keep our Bible studies to a, a certain time frame. Is it better to, to overeat and give them too much food? Or is it better leaving them just a little bit hungry so that they'll be ready next week when you come? Does that make sense? Which is the better principle? To, to give them a spiritual buffet every week or, or to leave them just a little bit hungry? What do you think? To leave them a little bit hungry. I remember times I've, when I first started studying the Bible, when I was a college student, I, would, uh, I had just become a Seventh-day Adventist. I, just, I was like 22 years old. I'm 29 now. And I was so excited about the things I had learned. I would find people in my college class, and I would study with them, and I would invite them over for a meal, right? Uh, for spaghetti or whatever. And I would feed them, and then I would say, you know what, why don't we study the Bible? And they'd be like, okay. So I'd pull out my Bible. By the end of my Bible study, they were sitting in the, in the couch, and I started out sitting on the chair. By the end of the Bible study, I was standing up in front of them with my Bible, going from text to text to text. And their little eyeballs were just kind of like fried, you know? They, they didn't know. They were just like, when is he going to stop? And the next day, I would go to class, and I would notice that when they came in the room, they would kind of like look around, you know, to see where I was sitting. And they'd find where I was sitting, and they'd sit on the opposite side. And I couldn't figure it out. I said, they must not have seen me. So I would get up, and I would move over and sit beside them. And then they would get up, and they would say, you know what? I need to go to the restroom. And they would take all their stuff with them. And they would leave, and then, you know, they would wait until after class had started. Then they'd come back and sit on the other side of the room. And I didn't understand it until I learned the principle that I'm about to share with you, okay? And uh, we, we got to be careful that we don't wear out the saints. You don't want to be the Antichrist. All right, so the time outline of a Bible study. Typically, I like to spend about 8 to 10 minutes just socializing with that person. Hey, how's your week going? How's work going? How are the kids doing? You know, what's, what's new in your life? Anything ha significant happened this week? Um, wh what, what troubles are you having? Is there anything, you know, that I can keep in prayer for you? Just spending time with that person, talking with them, and you have to be careful because some people really like to what? They really like to talk, don't they? And you can spend all your time talking with this person. So you've got to be very careful. So a trick that I typically use is I just kind of gauge my time. And if they have a serious problem, do you need to spend a little bit more time talking with them? Yeah, you need to be a friend, right? But if they're just chatting about, you know, the new puppies or, or whatever, you know, uh, what I typically say is, hey, are, uh, why don't we go ahead and get started with our study this week? Or did you have a chance to look over the lesson? Or, or, or you know, whatever you need to say to get them going. So I spend about 8 to 10 minutes just talking with them. You want to spend about 30 to 45 minutes studying. Don't go in there with 97 and a half Bible texts, okay? You're not going to be able to share those in 45 minutes. Your typical Bible study is going to, last, is going to be, and I'll share more with you about this later, your typical Bible study is going to be about 10 to 12 Bible texts. Sometimes you can get by with 8, sometimes up to 12, but you should never have more than about 12 Bible texts in your, in your Bible study. If you're using a study guide that has a bunch of text, just pick out one text per question. Does that make sense? And look up one text. You don't have to look up every single Bible text that's listed in the Bible study guide. If you do, you'll be there for three hours. And so you have to plan your material, organize your material, so that you don't spend too much time. 
And then you always want to leave a few minutes for your appeal at the end. You want to make sure that you have time to ask that person the decision to follow Jesus. Are you with me? All right. Um, when you go with a partner, how many of you have ever gone into a Bible study and you have someone with you and they just talk and talk and talk over you, right? Uh, there's a principle that we use at AFCO. It's called the silent prayer partner. And if someone's going with you, you need to determine who's going to lead that Bible study and who's going to be the silent prayer partner, right? Because what happens is, is if I'm studying the person, and what's your name? Joshua. Let's say Joshua and I are on a Bible study. And let's say he's leading the study, right? I don't want to pick on him. I'll use him as the good example. Let's say he's leading the study. And every time he tries to start turning this person to a certain point, guess who pipes up? Me. And I put in my two cents worth, and I've completely destroyed the foundation that he's just been laying, trying to make a certain point. Are you with me? And after a while, Joshua begins to get annoyed with me, right? And he's getting frustrated, but he's a, he's a godly person. He's a Christian. He's not going to let it show. But after we leave, we've been there for two hours, and we haven't accomplished anything. Why? Because every point he tries to make, I pull that person away by talking about something that's not really that relevant. Do you follow what I'm saying? Have you ever tried to listen to two people at once and you go back and forth and back and it drives you crazy, doesn't it? And so be careful that you don't do that in your Bible study. Let that person know ahead of time, I'm going to give the study. I really need you to pray for me. Does that make sense? And uh, it's, it's terrible to have someone trying to talk over you because you will end up staying there for two or three hours because you never can get through the study. So be sure to follow that principle of the silent prayer. Um, on page 21 and 22, there are some key points to remember. I've listed them there. I'll let you guys read over them uh, on your own. Be careful, guys. This is the number one rule. And if you look here on the screen, um, let me come back to it. I have it, I have it in a special transition here. All right? It's in flames. And if something is in flames, do you think that means it's important? You ready? You watching? It's in flames. And I tell my AFCO students, what do you think that means? It means it is vital. Do your very, very best not to stay any longer than how long? One hour. Sometimes you're going to run over a little bit, 10, 15 minutes. Definitely don't continue the study more than a, an hour and 15 minutes. If you get halfway through the study, have a closing prayer and pick up where you left off the next week, right? Don't stay longer. And someone says, what if that person really, really, really wants to keep studying? Well, study with them twice a week or, or sometimes even three times a week. But don't stay for more than an hour and 15 minutes because eventually, it may be great for the first couple of times, but eventually they're going to wear out. Does that make sense? Eventually they're going to wear out. What happens if they ask me the, a question that I don't know the answer to? How many of you are so afraid of that to happen to you, right? There's a little secret that all Bible workers know, and I'm going to teach that secret to you now, okay? You're going to be so surprised. You're going to be shocked. All of you, you, you may just, your eyes may get really big, okay? You're going to be so shocked. This is, do you want to know what it is? Are you, do you? Some of you don't sound convincing. Do you? You want to know? What happens when they ask me the question that I don't know? Are you ready? Are you sure? Are you ready? Here it is. 
I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know the answer to that question. Isn't that easy? Is that the end of the world? Did the, 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 the ceiling cave in on you when you didn't know the answer to that Bible question? Let's practice that together. That's a great question. I don't know the answer. Let's practice that on three. Ready? One, two, three. That's a great question. I don't know the answer. Is that hard? Isn't that a great secret to know? Now you guys are expert Bible workers, right? Instead of just knocking on doors tomorrow during outreach, you're going to go in and give Bible studies, aren't you? Right? You're just going to walk through the door and give Bible studies. No, maybe not. Right? Maybe you're not quite that ready. But look, it's not a big deal if they ask you a question. All you have to say is affirm. That's a great question. I'm so glad you asked that question. To tell you the truth, I don't know the answer to that question. But I will do some research this week. And next time when I come, I'll try to give you the best answer I can. Right? That's as easy as pie. Or you can tell them, what have you heard? I sometimes ask them, well, what have you heard about that? Or, or you can say, I don't know the answer. I'll tell you what. You do some research this week. I'll do some research this week. And we'll see what good answer we can come up with next time, right? So it's not the end of the world. You don't have to know the answer to every question to give a Bible study. Are you with me? All right. What happens if they ask me a question on, that's on a future subject? You know, let's say you're in your your second Bible study, and they say, you know, um, they already, let's say, suppose they already know your Seventh-day Adventist. They say, you know, I heard that the Adventists believe that the, the Roman Catholic Church is, is the Antichrist of Bible prophecy. What do you have to say about that? And you're on your second Bible study. Is it wise to get in a discussion with them at that point, yes or no? And, and what if you say, well, yes, that's true. I'm so glad that that, that you know that already. That's in Daniel chapter 7. And you open your Bible and you study with them. And at the end they say, you know what? I'm a Roman Catholic. That may be a little painful, right? Have you built enough confidence with that person to share that heavy of a topic in your second study? Yes or no? You have to build confidence. Does that make sense? You have to build confidence in a person uh, before you're able to share those heavy truths with them. And so if they ask that question, again, the answer is, that's a good question. I'm so glad you asked. You know what? Uh, we have a Bible study coming up. I have a whole series of Bible studies that I'm sharing with you. We have a series coming up in a few more studies that's going to address that very subject. And I sit back in my chair and I smile at them and I say, I don't want to ruin it for you. We're going to have to wait. Would you be willing to wait? And 99 out of 100 people will say, yes. The one person that doesn't, I say, you know what, I just don't want to ruin it for you, but I'll give you a tidbit. I'll say something like, the, the Antichrist is found in the little horn power of Daniel chapter 7. If you want to get any in, more information out of me, you're going to have to wait, right? You're going to have to wait. And so people will wait. And so just brush it off a little bit. We're going to cover that soon. Don't get into it to them with them before it's time. Does that make sense? All right. Affirm them often. Whenever they make a, a great comment, say, you know what? That's, a, that's an excellent point. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that. You're such a good Bible student. Thank you so much for studying with me. I know you could be doing so many other things. Um, try not, don't criticize them. Don't correct them. Let's say on their, your second Bible study, they say something like, um, oh, well, you know, my grandmother's been appearing to me for the past three nights, and she's been talking with me. Is that the time to whip out your Bible and say, Oh, 
You know what Ecclesiastes chapter 9 says, the dead know not anything. That's not your grandmother. That's the devil himself, right? Is that the time to say that? No. What, what, what would be a good statement to use instead? That's very interesting. You know, what do you think the Bible has to say about that? And, and let them talk, right? And then say, you know what? We're going to study that subject coming up very soon. We're going to take a look in depth about what the Bible says about people coming back from the dead, right? You don't always have to correct people at that moment. Does that make sense? You, 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 can, you, can, you can just let it slide. That's very interesting. And give them an affirming statement. What if they say, uh, aren't you looking forward to the secret rapture? Do you have to say, don't you know the Bible does, there's no secret rapture? How many of you have been guilty of these kind of things, right? You want to correct people right on the spot. You want to just nail them and pin them to the wall. <clears throat> can you win an argument and lose a friend? You can, can't you? What if they say, well, I, I, aren't you thankful for the secret rapture? You know what? I say this. I say, that's such an exciting topic. We're going to study that. I'm going to be so glad when Jesus comes again, right? You can move it on along and don't get into confrontational subjects with them until you've, you've, you're able to study them in a systematic manner. And uh, be careful about that um, because it will get you in a lot of trouble. It will end your Bible studies very soon. There's uh, section principles to effective Bible studies. These are just simple statements. I'm going to let you guys read those on your own. Um, on pages 24 to 31, parts 1 through 4, how to give a Bible study. What happens if you go to a Bible study and someone offers you pork ribs, right? You, you can study all about that in those pages, okay? It'll tell you. Um, we are, I believe we're out of time, and I hate that. Again, I would talk much more about this, but one hour is, is very difficult. But I want to just very briefly tell you a story as we close for, before our next session. I was in Colombia last summer, last June, and we had a, a number of students from AFCO there. And we went, from, uh, we went down there preaching an evangelistic series down there as well. And I was at the market one day, and I heard this man behind me. And he said, hi, how are you doing? Well, everyone speaks Spanish in Colombia. It's very odd to hear someone speak crystal clear English. I turned around, and there was this man. And I said, well, I'm doing very well. How are you? And he said, I'm good. And we started talking a little bit. And the more I talked with him, um, the more I found out about him. He, he was in the Army Rangers, and he was down there on an assignment. And um, he, he was in the like, Special Forces, top secret stuff. And he told me, if I tell you this, I have to kill you, you know, that type of a thing. And so we were talking, and eventually he got around to asking me what I did. Because I asked him, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a minister. And I said, I'm, I'm down here with a group of students. We're on a mission trip, et cetera. And he said, wow, that's amazing. And I was telling him that we were preaching each night about the Bible, about how God cares about people, and he has a, a wonderful plan for their lives. And, and we were just talking back and forth. And finally, he, he looked at me, and he kind of put his head down, and he said, I don't think that God can forgive me for the things that I've done in my life. Now, is that a, is that a trigger, yes or no? Is that, is that a signal? My little evangelistic antennas started raising up, right? And I knew that this was my opportunity, so this is what I did. The next couple of things I said to him, I said, you know what, brother? God can't forgive you, but you know what you need? You need to keep the seventh-day Sabbath. Let me give you a Bible study on that. Brother, you need to avoid the mark of the beast. Let me share with you what God says in Revelation 13. I said, you know what? The if you just knew who the Antichrist was, 
it would solve all your problems, right? Is that what I did? I didn't do that, did I? I asked him a simple question. And, I, did I, and in addition to that, did I start telling him, you know what, brother, God, God will do anything for you. You just need to ask him, what did I need to find out first? What was it that was creating that belief in him, right? Why was he feeling this way? So what, do you, what question do you think I asked him? Why do you think that God can't forgive you, right? And he started telling me some of the things that he had done as a soldier. He had, he had in, uh, murdered innocent men, women, and children and, and you know, threw hand grenades into little huts where children were and, and just all these things. And I was able, to make a long story longer, I was able to share with him God's plan and that God could forgive any person, no matter what the extent of their sin. And by the end of that time I spent with this, with this man, he was weeping and he was saying, I want to experience the forgiveness that God can give. If God can truly forgive me, I want to have that experience in my life. And I prayed together with him. And I gave him some books. I gave him Desire of Ages, and I invited him to the meeting that was close to him. I don't know if he went or not. But this is what oftentimes people need answers to. Do they need to know about the Sabbath, yes or no? Do they need to know about the mark of the beast at the end of time? Do they need to know these things? But for most people, what do they need initially in their life? They need to know that God will accept them, that God cares about them, that God has a purpose for their life, amen? That we, and they need to understand that. And if we can present that to them initially in, their, in our Bible studies and share God's love, share His forgiveness, share the plan that He has for them, it will transform them. And that will set the foundation to share these wonderful, deep truths that we held so dear in our church, amen? So that makes sense. So doctrine is important, but doctrine doesn't save anyone. The Sabbath means nothing unless it is centered around Christ. Can you say amen? I want to close with a statement. You do. You what? Who does? Who's you? You, right? Not me, but you. All right? You do have what it takes for Jesus to use you to give a Bible study because God doesn't need perfect talent or skill. He needs who? You, right? You or me? Me, right? If it's you, it's me, right? Okay. <laughs> All right. God, if he wanted perfection, he would use who? The angels. But God wants to use us because no one else can tell another soul about what Jesus, how Jesus brought them out of sin. Angels can't do that, right? But we can. And God wants to use us. He wants to use you. If we don't do it, guys, no one else will, right? How many of you want to say, yes, Jesus? Use me in a mighty way. Bring someone into my path that I can have a Bible study with, all right? Let's pray together. We'll take a break, and then we're going to come right back in a few minutes, and I'm going to teach you three ways that you can write your own Bible studies, and they'll be effective, they'll be powerful, and you'll be able to use these skills forever, all right? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time that we've had, uh, learning just the basic structure of a Bible study, understanding how to give that Bible study. And Lord, I pray that your Spirit would draw us near to you, and as we go into our next session, may you guide us and lead us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. 
If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.